Have you heard about the new MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle? The MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle is the easiest, most advanced nozzle ever, protecting you from the dangers of diesel exhaust fumes. With its patented flex magnet technology, the Pro Nozzle easily attaches with one hand from a standing position, can snap on from any angle, and fits flush to the apparatus, saving a ton of space. A MagnaGrip is the only exhaust removal system that offers a true 100% seal. For free grant assistance and to learn more, go to magnagrip.com. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our Fire Engineering Hump Day Hangout, Issues and Challenges in Today's Fire Service. I'm Chief Rick Lasky, along with the rest of our incredible cast. we got Chief John Salka. I've got Chief Terry McGrath, my partner, our, our co-host from Louisville, Texas. Uh, Chief Scott Thompson from the county. And the boss, the boss, David Rhodes, Chief David Rhodes is with us, as always, and, and will be. Um, and we got we got a guest. We've got a, a friend that's been with us. But Curtis Burt's the uh, ops chief, assistant chief in uh, Pearland, Texas, where we're at right now doing the company officer academy. And we've been with Curtis. I, I, I started working with Curtis in 1994. And when I put the Save and Roll program together, he was – he was the first instructor. He's been with us. He was he was my co-lead. When they made us move inside after 10-plus years and at FDIC, he took over. If, if that means anything to you, when you give your program, it was your heart and soul to one of your best buds, that's it. So we're down here. Um, we've got a great show lined up for you. Um, you know, the topic is uh, the aggressive fire attack, and it's a phrase that our buddy John Salka uses in a lot of classes, and it's get your ass in there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But before we do that, we've got a little announcement to make here. Um, yesterday on Valentine's Day, John became a grandpa again. <laughs> All right, Rachel, number four, Rachel, number four. Right, number four. And uh, the my, cool, my son, the firefighter out in Wichita, his wife, Rachel. And the cool folks here in Pearland produced that. They already that. had them. They've been giving away their own guys, and I – I qualified, so I got one to bring home <laughs> to give to uh, to my new grandbaby. Oh uh, no! So it, it's been it's been great. You know, we've said it before. Uh, all of us travel all over the place doing things, and we've never had a bad class. But this has been a great, 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 great group here. Really good. Um, really hey, before good. we move forward, David, um, uh, any updates? I know FDIC is right around the corner. Uh, things with any of the magazines and any of the websites and any of the shows that you take care of. Uh, any updates for our, for our viewers, boss? Um, registration is going extremely well. Looks like we're going to have a really good crowd here. Our uh, hot classes are tracking a little ahead of uh, schedule and registration's a little ahead of schedule. So uh, we're hoping we're going to be back in the pre-COVID mode. Um, um, everything's looking good. And obviously, we got a great, great lineup with our working out the details on the, the opening ceremonies and stuff. So, uh, and we do have a, uh, a tribute to Bobby planned for Wednesday, which will be during uh, your guys' normal time, the uh, FDIC after hours. So that entire block of time is going to be dedicated to the uh, Bobby Halton tribute. And we did get confirmation that Bobby's family is going to be there for the opening ceremonies and for the tribute. So, uh, so we're encouraging folks really to attend. Good. 
Yeah. And also if you have your, uh, if you have your favorite picture of you and Bobby, uh, whether you're attending or not, we ask you to, to post it on social media and just put the hashtag halt and tribute on it. And Pete will pull it off and we're going to have a way for everybody that wants to, to contribute to the, to the tribute, whether you're a speaker or not. Uh, I think you're going to have message. to, it's going to have to be three days long. If you well, it's going to be a couple hours and everybody else, it's going to be a couple hours. It looks like we got about 30 speakers or so. So it's probably going to be about two, three minutes a piece bagpipes, honor guards, uh, the whole thing. It's truly going to be a celebration. Uh, and for someone who told me, uh, the day before he passed in Hawaii that, you know, when I go, I don't want anything big. I told Marsha and all this and, you know, Bobby, I'm like, this, this is perfect. This is a wonderful tribute. And you know what? I'm, I'm glad he said that, but you know what, Bobby, sorry, we're, we're going to do the right thing and, and do it right. Just like you're doing it. And David, uh, so Thursday you'll be presenting the lifetime achievement award, uh, to chief Halton as well. That's right. Uh, he's going to get the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. Well, long, long time overdue. Um, Diane said we had tried to give it to him several times and he just wouldn't wouldn't take it. So uh, so he doesn't have a choice now. Uh, he's going to get it. And also another big news, uh, we will have the editor's opinion, which is a book of every single one of Bobby's editorials is going to be ready. Um actually went to the printer yesterday. Um, so Diane and the books and video team books team did a phenomenal job getting that done, uh, getting the layout, the book covers fabulous. Um, definitely a lot of red, white, and blue and stars and, and it's, it's a hundred percent Bobby. So, uh, it's going to be a great way to preserve all his, his editorials and refer back to them as, you know, as you want. I, I wanted it to be very similar to the Brennan, book obviously that's something that you just go back to and go back to and just pick up little tidbits so uh we're excited about that very appropriate and i can't tell you david you've been there for years when we've done our, our advisory board meetings how many times we brought up well what, what, you know when we sit there and, and bobby go okay so who are we thinking about for lifetime achievement award and some will say you and he'll go shut up no no not me you know, so you know what, Bobby, you, you got to come into you whether, you whether you want it or not. <laughs> it's it. very well deserved. And, yep. and, and and anything that you and Diane and your staff do is going to be classy and done right. And uh, it's going to sound weird, but I, I'm, I'm actually it's sound weird. I'm actually excited to see all the tributes, to see all the people say all the great things about Bobby, because Bobby was a great person. He was a patriot. He loved the job. He loved people. He, you know we'll talk about later stopping in the hallways, all the things we talked about, when we did our tribute show. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, I, I, I still hurt, but I'm like, golly, man, it's going to be what an awesome tribute, David. So it's going to be awesome. So, so thank you there. So, and, and a reminder to our viewers, if you have any comments, zip over to the social media side of things, especially Twitter and, and make sure you had at hashtag F E talk. And our producer Pete will grab those questions and, and send them off to us uh, uh, best we can. Um, real quick, Terry. Um, so your new uh, uh, public safety building, please fire the three hundred ninety-five million dollar project. Um, is are we are we coming along good with your new building? Yeah. So actually, we moved into this is a temporary building. So if you'll remember down there uh, behind Old Station Five, Chief, we're in uh, kind of a warehouse district down there. So we moved into a temporary building. We're going to share it with the police department. We've been here for about three weeks now. Um, yeah, we're on track. Uh, the, 
best thing is that old building was built in 1974. So this office I'm sitting in here today, is the biggest I've ever sat in. And uh, <laughs> it is a hundred times nicer than where we were. And if, if this project stopped right here, I'd be happy. As, happy as <laughs> is it, I'm, I have a question. Is it the building? Remember when uh, President Bush's, they stored his library there until uh, it went to the library, all the items with security, everything was in this warehouse, the bullhorn from 9-11, everything uh, was stored there. We used to actually go through there. So, yep. so all good things. Right Scott? Down the street from oh. it, I'd say I could throw a rock and hit. I couldn't hit. You could probably throw a rock and hit. I, but yeah, but uh, no, it's, it's, uh, everything's going good. We're, uh, we're tracking. They're actually going to demo that fire station 24th. Okay. So, uh, somebody said there. it was sad. And I said, man, I'm going to, I want to sign up to, well, in Pearland, Chief Taylor just got another station approved here uh, while we were here, while we were here at Bond and everything else. And Chief Thompson, anything new in the colony, the great, the great, the great state of colony? Uh, Firehouse 5 is opening around uh, April 1st, give or take, and it's going to be much smaller than Firehouse 4. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're doing that in the far north end of the city, so we're excited to get that open. Outstanding. Now, like I said, we're here with a great group. Uh, you know, I just mentioned Chief Taylor and they're, they're just all of them. It's just Pearland's always been a great place. But right now, things are really rocking and rolling here. But anyway, oh, so let's let's get to our topic. All right, let's get to our topic. And Pete was very, very good, David. When I asked him, I said, look, this is going to be a different title. I go, I don't know if David's going to allow you to do this one, but we really want to do we want to talk about the aggressive. We've talked about the aggressive fire attack before, but we want to talk about aggressive fire attack. And use his line that everybody posted a picture from Andy Fredrickson going, you know, if my family's trapped in this building, my kids, I want the crazy son of a bitch you got going after him. But he's known for saying, get your ass in there. And Pete was very good about doing, you know, the aggressive fire attack, get your ass in there. So Chief Suckley, I mean, you, John, you do that all the time. Your thoughts behind getting your ass in there. Let's talk the aggressive fire attack. You know, it's it's just so simple. It's been this... It's really just a response. I think it's just a short phrase. It's a response to this trend that's been developing over the past couple of years by a lot of people in the fire service. And, and none of it's bad or, 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 or wicked or, you know, malicious. But this trend for people to start to come up with more reasons and more tactics and more strategies that involve doing stuff from the outside before they go inside. And, you know, we, we talked this morning in the class that we're doing here today, the, the victim survivability profile, which I think is absolute lunacy and nonsense. It's ridiculous. I've been to enough fires, and I think everybody on this panel, and hopefully everybody listening, knows that I don't know what you can see from the outside of the building, but I see the exterior walls and some smoke and maybe some fire, maybe some not. I mean, there's so many unknowns. There are dozens, and I've listed them in articles. There are dozens of unknowns. There's a there's very small chance that you can predict anything. Uh, I said, well, what about a vacant building? Vacant buildings are fires. Nobody in there. I said, really? What, did a bird fly in there with a cigarette? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, even a vacant building, there's a chance that there's somebody in there that's on fire. So uh, our obligation is, w- w- without question, I mean, there's always a room for debate for everything, but our obligation is to get our asses in there, make a survey, stretch a line, do what we can. We know we have we know we have the eva- we have to evaluate conditions and risk this and risk that for that. We, we know all these levels of risk and, and, and reward are, but you still got to get in there to do it. To try and do it from the outside with binoculars is simply not, not acceptable. Not in my book, it's not acceptable. And, I, and I'm not 100 years old. I'm 65, and, I, and you and I and the rest of the people on the panel have all been fighting and commanding fires for long enough that we know most most of the good recon's got to be done from inside. you got to get somebody inside and 
See, with the, the people are laying around is there in pajamas and, and, and nightgowns, waiting for us to go in there with our, with our personal protective equipment to try and get them out. Well, and, and we've actually, I, I love the campaign of the close the door thing. I'm like, great. We've been talking about close the door for years, but I, one of the great things about the close the door campaign are all the pictures that come from fires of a hallway that's gutted, a room that's gutted, and the door swung open to the room next door. And you could be asleep in your bed if you want to in that room. And I've said for years, we kind of lie to children every year. Every October, we go to all schools. We say, you know, if the smoke detector goes off, if they even hear it, or if you, you smell smoke or whatever, crawling bed with a good air and feel the door at the back of your hand. Think, remember that. But if it's hot or smoke, don't open it because who's coming to get you? Well, the firefighter, but kind of sort of if you're staying outside and you're waiting to do this and waiting to do Some that. Of so look, Some and, of and us. Look, and this is a panel of extremely safety conscious people. Our people are, are our number one priority when it comes to the training and safety and gear and all that. But we've got an obligation to to take care of things, you know, when, when things get bad for people. David, um, refresh my memory. I don't know if we have, I mean, our, our boss, David Rhodes, uh, how many years with Atlanta, David? 30. And then 30 years with a small department. Firefighter, uh, uh, lieutenant, battalion chief, union president for like 18 years. David's been to a buttload of fires, but we don't have to talk about necessarily who it was or where it was unless you want to, but did we have a lieutenant or an officer uh, that actually got disciplined for going in and making arrests? I know it was a big, it was all over social media. There was articles written about it. I think he may have retired and moved on or whatever, but, you know, do you remember the the the, the, the issues and the facts surrounding absolutely. that particular incident? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, was Lieutenant Dwyer. And he was suspended for a couple of days. Um, it was ultimately overturned uh, after he had left the department <laughs> on his own. He went to another department. So it was like a two year, two year waiting for the civil service trial. Um, I actually be talking a little bit about that uh, later this week in Phoenix uh, at their firefighter symposium. And they're doing basically the same topic uh, as a symposium. But uh, he was assigned as the officer of the truck crew and with staffing issues, it was a tiller and uh, it had an officer and two drivers and the two drivers got to the scene and were and were getting their SCBA on. He ran up to the front porch uh, with an engine company that was about to make entry. There was confirmed entrapment and uh, the engine company took a charged hose line in and started making their way to the back of the structure. And he popped in and did a quick search and, and, and found the lady and, uh, and got her out. Situation turned uh, very quickly. A lot of air was introduced when they, when they got the door open and the back door had, or the back window had given, given out. And so uh, the thing started rolling over pretty good. And the engine company actually had to turn around and fight their way out. Their hose was burnt and all, but he was disciplined for uh, um, freelancing. It was what the charges were. And uh, um, he pr pretty much proved in the civil service case that he wasn't freelancing. The radio traffic clearly identified who was going in. And he, he basically partnered with another crew. Uh, it was a captain and a firefighter on the hose line because the engine was running with three also. So it's one of those things. Departments put you in precarious positions when you start having these staffing issues and uh, you have to kind of call an audible, you know, sometimes. And if there's confirmed entrapment, then 
you know, you, you do what you have to do. And, and he did. And he, unfortunately she did not survive, but uh, he gave her the best chance she had at survival. Well, for, you know, we're talking, we've talked about in classes, office have and trained to it. And I know, I know my buddy Curtis sit right next. To, I know just him being the ops chief here for chief Taylor. I know already how they operate. You know um, the fact of the matter is a lot of people go in with two on the nozzle and a third one to search. So, you know, we only have, Hey, get in there. You're assigned that crew. You stay, you work off the line. They're working here. You grab this room, you come out and all that. You're still talking. You're still this and everything else, but there's a time where we got to go. There's people in there. We need to make our, we, we need to earn our pay. Scott, you, and chief Thompson posts. I love this because, you know, there's a lot of stuff on social media that's kind of nonsense and there's some pretty cool stuff. And I can always tell when he's teaching somewhere and he's on a particular topic because people like they snapshot him, get your ass in there and, you know, and go. And then they snapshot this, 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 the way you present this, explain Scott, because we talked ahead of time. We were going to bring it up, but we talked ahead of the, the thought process and where you got that idea from. So let me let me just start by saying, just like y'all, you know, I got two sons on the job in big city. So anything that I say or, or my philosophies, I'm OK with the two most important things in my life being governed by. And then, you know, adding the grandbabies in there, a whole new dimension of what we're going to commit to. But I got thinking back, if, if you think back to Columbine with the police and active shooters, right, is. You know, we all if you think back, we, we stood off and we waited and, and you know, things happened and, and people died. And so we started to hear from uh, the community on that. Fast forward to Uvalde, uh, going going to Parkland, Florida shooting and then Uvalde. Um, and more and more we're hearing from the citizens that we protect. Now, this is on the police side right now. Start there saying, hey, if there's an active shooter, this is what the police department will do this. This. You don't have a choice anymore. This is what we expect. And if you allow me, I, I want to read something very short. This 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 came out February 28th, 2018. This is right after the Parkland, Florida shooting. And this is put out by the sheriff of Denton County. And it says, with the recent tragedy in Florida, I wanted to make clear my policy on responding to an active shooter. All commissioned deputies, if you respond to an active shooter, you're expected to take immediate action. We do not stage and wait for SWAT. We do not take cover in the parking lot, and we do not wait on another agency. We go in and do our job. We engage and stop the shooter and save lives. If for any reason you feel like you can't uh, comply with this, let your supervisor know when you have you reassigned. So, so there's an agency head who made it crystal clear to the men and women in his organization how they're going to respond to an active shooter. Okay. So I, I had a little fun with it. If you got just a second, I want, I want to, I, I, I said, let's, let's play with this. So now, now this is, this is tied to that, but what does that look like in the fire service? I wanted to make clear my policy on responding to incidents involving fires that could possibly be threatening lives. All sworn personnel. If you respond to a building fire with searchable area, you are expected to take immediate action. We do not wait for additional resources. We do not delay the search. And we do not attack the fire from an exterior position. We go in and we do our duty. We attack the fire, search all searchable areas, and save lives. If for any reason you feel like you can't follow this, let your supervisor know. We'll work to get you reemployed. But but you see, kind of making that connection, though, but I mean – I think if we say things like we're not going to do vent enter search and we're not going to go in, uh, our citizens are going to tell us how we're going to fight fire. And if you think about it, 
the greatest investment in any fire department organization, and I haven't found one that that goes against this, the greatest investment in any fire department is in fire suppression and fire rescue capabilities, is it not? Fire engines, firefighters, fire equipment, protective clothing, thermal imager, air packs. And so where our citizens spend the most money in our organizations is to put the fire out and go in and get them. Well, and what your fr- our friend Butch Cobb, Butch Cobb retired as a big chief in Jersey City, one of the most decorated soldiers I've ever been around from the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. one of the most decorated firefighters, a fire chief. You would never know. You would never know. He's a very modest. He's a gentleman. He's a great guy. But and then went to work for ISO. What, what did he say about that? Right. And Butch, Butch and I have done a couple of programs down this direction ourselves, down this road. And, and, and I use it in all my classes when I'm talking about, you know, getting in there and fighting a fire and search and rescue and who's doing it and who's not doing it, what your staffing is. And, and Scott and everybody else on the panel, we all know it's it hinges on staffing. It hinges on assignment. First thing she gets there, the next thing she's not going to get there for 13 minutes. I mean, things vary around the country. But sure. But, but what Butch said, it was so, so good. And and let me first preface by saying, God bless Andy Fredericks. There's, there's a gentleman in our class today that has the book of Andy Fredericks writings, the hardcover one that came out years ago, but make a long story short. Sometimes I even say it in class and I know Andy's looking down at me. Sometimes I say it in class. I said, I'm not sure if Andy Fredericks is right. I'm not sure if more lives are saved by the properly positioned the whole line. And, and Butch Cobb said, when I said that, he said, you know what, John? He said, there's only one way. There's only one way. This is not up for debate. It's not up for scientific examination. There's only one way to save people that are inside a building that is on fire and it is to go in there and find them and remove them. Now, there's no doubt that putting the fire out from wherever you do that is going to be helpful. It's going to reduce heat and, you know, smoke and all that stuff. But, but you can still do that. And, and, and people have been quoted saying, oh, yeah, it was 2,800 degrees. We used the outside screen. We knocked it down to 750 in, in a minute and a half. Well, that's wonderful. What do they do? Roll over and go back to sleep? You still got to go in there and get them. You know, and I, and I love what you just said. I love the words that you just used because you use the key words that are, and I just used them too in an article that I was published, searchable areas. There's another group out there that's like, uh, that's talking about that. And I quoted them the other day, searchable areas. You got to get in there and, and hit the search. It doesn't have to be a confirmed life. It doesn't have to be reports of people in there. If it's a building that looks like it's normally occupied and there are searchable areas, somebody with a helmet on should be crawling through there. Exactly right. And, and Terry, I know we all know we're going to talk, talk about what you guys do in Louisville in a second, because we know Louisville is, is an aggressive fire department. We always said they're a very safe, aggressive fire department. Um, Curtis, you know, we're down here, and you and I, like I said, we go way back, and we've been in, we've been at fires together. We've been in a lot of craft together. We've been, we've been through some bad leadership together. You're working for a great boss now and all this. The thought process here in Pearland, good-sized department, Houston area in Texas, um, I don't want to get too far ahead without, you know, allowing you to, 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 to finish what I'm saying. The, the theory, the thoughts, and the process here when it comes to search and rescue for your people. You're the assistant chief, your ops. What do you tell your troops? You know, you heard Scott. What do you, what do you say to them? It's the same thing Scott's saying. I mean, even since we've been in the – all of us have been in this business for a long, long time. And, and I kind of agree with – being a truck guy, I agree totally with John is – a position hose line doesn't always need to be there for us to get in there and do it. Do we teach guys how much a two and a half uh, gallon water can will do? Do we show just shutting a door, which we've talked about a lot today, shutting a door, get in there, find somebody, shut the door. Can you call for help and get some people to throw a ladder? 
that's getting people out of these buildings. But we need to get people in there. Everybody on the fire ground needs to know what you're doing. Everybody that's there needs to go. We have a very specific deployment model here. Everybody on the first line know what their job is, know what their tool job. If they have people in there, they need to go get them. Well, doesn't mean you do reckless. Doesn't mean you you need to go in there without the second, the first new engine getting the hose lined up. Doesn't mean you go in there without a can. You can do a lot of stuff, but we need to get people out of these places. Talk about the assignments. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but but you mentioned something very important that he hits everybody. It's that the tool assignments and all that. Tool assignments. Everybody in our first line assignment when you come in in the morning knows what your tool assignment is, what your job is. Everybody that responds to that call, if John's on the or if John's on the engine and Rick's on the truck and I'm on the medic, I know what John's doing. I know what Rick's doing. I know what I'm doing, and they all know what I'm doing. So they know that I need to go to support. Just like FDNY, first do truck, roof guy goes to the roof. What's the second die roof do? Second do roof goes up there and makes a team. So we all know what's in. If somebody calls, engine five to command, be advised, I got a victim. I know where that guy's at. Mm-hmm. My battalion chief knows where he's at. Everybody on the fire ground can go and support that guy. Well, and Work I can support the crew pulling out somebody. In and I don't want to mention something while we're talking about this. Terry, you remember, I actually did this when I was still working with you in Louisville. Uh, it started as a blog, turned into an article. And I, I guess I got a little wore out, John and, and David, with reading the comments on social media. Every time It seemed like every time someone got hurt, which we don't want to see firefighters get hurt. We, we're, we're doing whatever we can to protect firefighters. But you see something, they'd be undergoing for a rescue, whatever. And someone would say, see, see, the fire service is way too aggressive. They're way too aggressive. And, not, and I actually did a blog for, for our fire engineering you know, family and, then, and an article about are we too aggressive or just using the wrong word? And my whole point was, I said, I thank God every day firefighters are aggressive. I think God every day that we fight fire an aggressive, coordinated attack. I think God we're aggressive to get to the second floor for the grandma, for the kid, to come after you. We're aggressive enough to CPR the baby to cut that person's daughter out of their car. The, the fact of the matter, we need to be aggressive. Could you imagine one of your sons, the Marines, you know, Major James Salka and Marsock, Special Forces, and going, guys, I think we ought to wait. Someone may actually shoot a real bullet at us here. All right. I, I know he's trained to safely take care of his Marines, but they, they know what they're doing. My point with it was, it came to that, is the word we should be concerned more with is not as much aggressive. In fact, if we take aggressive out of it, I think we, we actually jeopardize some lives. The word you should be concerned with is reckless. We watch all the videos and you're watching it and you're going, well, look at the, oh, wait, 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 David, David. Th- what are they, what are they, why are they on that roof now? Why? And we're like, I don't know why. You can sit there and watch. You want to get reckless? Don't wear your face piece. You want to get reckless? Don't have a backup purse. You want to get reckless? You know, excessive speed. Just driving your vehicle. When it comes to the fire ground, we seem to really jam our people up when we change from being aggressive to we add that word reckless to it. And, and David, I don't, I mean, your, your thoughts on that. 100%. Um, I think we went through a phase probably really started when the two in, two out came about. We got into a policy paralysis where we were so, so pushing the the term safety uh, so much that we didn't take safety on ourselves, which is, you know, kind of the whole micro safety third message, which is really the best philosophy to be. If you keep saying safety first, safety first, we got to wait till we have all these people. Hell, the cops were making rescues with no protective clothing while we were waiting for everybody to assemble to meet our policy (laughs) before we went in. And it's like common sense went out the window when we had to start, you know, 
not using common sense and, and being robots to follow the policy. People even forgot that if there's a known life hazard, you don't have to meet two in, two out. Uh, it's, it's right there in the policy. You, you go and do what you have to do. But uh, I think we got paralysis. Uh, one of the things we start off our, our search class at Georgia Smoke Divers and a little precursor to my April editorial, we put this philosophy out. We go to fires to search. That's why we go. Everything else we do is to support that effort. Then after the search is clear, if we can protect property, that's awesome. But we go to search and to clear that building. Um, quick, quick story. I was a battalion chief in the third battalion and responded as a safety officer all the way across town and got there to, the, to a fire 29 minutes after the first unit got there. They had two lines operating exterior and they were defensive because fire was through the roof. As soon as I got out of the car, I was like, why are we defensive on a fire through the attic? It was a, it was a one room fire that burned up in the attic. I said, Hey, request permission to go offensive. We got the crew, we got the line and we got areas we can search. Incident commander was a, it was a 10, four chief. So he 10, four me and we took the crew and went inside and with, within a minute had found a victim and walked the victim outside, walked the victim outside. Okay. So that's one story of, of, of something I experienced. I see them online all the time. Everybody remembers the Polk County incident where the lady's on the phone for 20 minutes. I mean, any an untrained person could have opened the door and gotten her out at the same time the fire department was on the scene. So we can't be paralyzed and, and put into these such strict policies that we can't let the circumstances dictate the actions that we take. So that's um, a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. This. We got to go search it. That's a great point. Terry, um, it looks like in your new temporary office, you lost power. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> there you go. Need a generator. <laughs> so T Louisville's, well, so, you know, we did We actually did a show, a podcast, John and I, why do we always talk about Stockton, California, Wichita, Kansas, Louisville, Texas? And the reason was because they, they had their shit together. They, they, they get in, they get after it. They, they, it's always amazing to me, and, and, and David and Scott, we were just talking about this, uh, and Terry, I know what you guys do there, that the busiest fire departments of fire duty train the most, and those that are the slowest train the least, which you'd think it would be the opposite, but then that explains why when you watch your son, you know, the guys from Wichita and the guys from Stockton, these other places, Atlanta, David, get in there and get after it. Terry, you guys have had that thought process for a long time. Uh, I've, I, I used to say when I, when, I was, when I was your chief there is that we have a very safe, aggressive fire department. We get after Our guys know when to go in. They know when to come out. But they get after it. We don't throw caution in. And, and none of us on this panel for our viewers are going, oh, look, at they're all talking about being crazy maniacs. We, we're, this panel was, was some of the safest people in the fire round I've ever been with. That doesn't mean we don't do our job. We still do our job safely and still can be aggressive with how we do it. You know, nobody's saying go do this and be like a maniac. We're not, but there's a process when it comes that we have to do our job. Terry, you guys have had that thought process for a long time, Louis. Yeah. And, and, you know, Scott said something earlier when he read that passage from, and I'm assuming that's, that's Tracy Murphy, the sheriff up there, but 
you know, and, and Scott's take on that to apply this to the fire department. So one, one thing that I listen at in both of those statements is a leader of an organization just set an expectation. Our expectation is this. And so I want to make it clear to you, this is what we expect from you, right? And so now everyone, I think the, 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 the driving force of that is now everyone understands what the expectation is. So you better train, practice, and be ready to execute that, right? So I think that's, that's excellent uh, what Scott did. You know, the other thing, is, as I was listening to Chief Salka talk about, well, maybe and could be, and I don't know if there's anybody in there listening. I think it was yesterday they just said that they pulled a 77-year-old lady out of a collapsed building in Turkey, nine and a half or 10 days after that quake. And they're still digging through buildings over there, but they're not, they're not, hey, that lady didn't crawl out on her own. Someone had to go in there and get her. Someone had to find her. Someone had to execute. They went there with the expectation of your job is we are searching. And, and, and so every day you're hearing, uh, uh, you know, triumph out of, of unsurmountable odds and, 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 and circumstances over there. Um, but I think, Chief, to, to your uh, question, but I think that there, there has to come down an element of trust. So if Scott, as a leader of the Colony Fire Department, levies expectations, but he has to trust that his people are trained. He has to trust that they're willing to execute and, and meet his expectations. And then he has to, as that leader, trust that they have the ability, skills, knowledge, and talent to go in there and take care of business. And I think that is a, a, a problem because if you're sitting back, I think uh, you know probably what we saw in um, in Uvalde is that there there is this element of like I I don't trust that they can go down there and or someone might get hurt. This is a dangerous business. I'm going to tell you that the expectation here is that you execute, and, I, and I'm, I'm perfectly candid and honest with everybody that we hire, the price of failure in this business, catastrophic. Uh, and, and, uh, and you have to understand that going in. We're not delivering boxes or, or, or delivering mail. Um, and so I think to Scott's point, and, and you know, I'll, I'll dovetail on that a while back, Scott had told me that one of their, their interview questions revolved around what you're understanding and willing to sit in an interview for a job. Hey, you might die doing this job. Do you understand that? And are you willing to put your life on the line for a complete stranger? And surprise, you know, when he told me that, I laughed because I thought, who in their right mind would say no to that? But Scott was like, no, man, people sit right there and say, whoa, hey, I, mm -mm, I'm not. Three out of 10, three out of 10 say no. So, you know, and, and I do. I think that trust is a big thing. The trust goes along with the training. It goes along with the equipment. It goes along with the fact that you know your guys are squared away. The other thing I'll bring up right here, too, because I think Scott makes an excellent point about this, is that there has to be an element of uh, equity across your, your fire station, your city, your service area. You can't have, uh, hey, you live in District 1, and those guys are aggressive, and they will get in there and find fire, find people. They were, they are exact. There's that's some of my top notch crews. And oh, I'm so sorry. Your brother lives in district eight. Cause those dudes are, uh, you know, I don't know, man, it's hit or miss out there, brother. Right. So you can't have that either. There has to be equity in this organization and everybody has the same expectation placed upon them. And John, I'm going to ask, you know, we, we talk about this in class a lot. 
and I'll pick on the FDNY here because they do a lot of stuff right. You, you'll say, you know, we're not perfect, but they do a lot of stuff right. Okay. That being said, when, when, when they were talking about that very thing, the trust that's built into the system, the training, all that, and I'm going to jump ahead and let you grow with it. Everything I've seen that we've talked about and my, my views, my experiences, what I've seen my own eyes, that starts day one in your fire academy. Day one, those probies, if there, there's no, okay, now they're out of academy, camp self, you got, now you need to get them into the job and get them, you know, trained up and all that stuff. From day one, it, 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 there's, there's expectations set for them. And there is that trust, Bill. When they come out of there, they're like, they can't wait to get to their firehouse and get to their first job, right? I'll tell you, and they've been doing it for decades now. And they even did it back when I got on, back in 79. You know, school was much shorter, six weeks. They were up to 23, now they're down to 18, whatever it is. There's some nonsense that goes on with that. But the point is, Proby School, the academy, is, is number one, it's, I mean, it's gigantic. They spend a lot of time on everything, engine, truck, rescue, all the tools. all. But not only that, they teach them about the FDNY. They teach them about, I mean, they advertise for, for DIs. They advertise on the department order. We need a couple of DIs for the upcoming probationary firefighters class. Three people, preferably with military experience. And, the, and these guys' job is to, is to obviously run the, the you know, the, the, the physical training on the outside. But they but they with them the whole time, the whole time they're in class. And they are talking about the senior man. When, you, when your senior man tells you to do this, you do that. They are talking about your captain. And they give them the whole structural, you know, outline of the job and what's expected of them and, and what they're going to see when they get there, what people are going to. Expect that I mean, other firefighters, their brother and sister firefighters, their, their company officers, the seat, they do a lot of senior man talking because the senior man in the FDNY is a gigantic, it's a gigantic element of the job. It's a gigantic element of what goes on in the firehouse. And, and, and we even talk about that when we do the company officer academy. I know a lot of other people that teach officer, you know, programs talk about how most of what the senior men, they're doing with the approval and, the, and of, of the company officer, the company officers know what's going on. And many times they're not involved in it at all, other than the fact that they know what's going on. They know what they get done talking to the new probie on that first day that he's going to go downstairs and spend four or five hours with several of the senior men. You're looking at the tools and looking at the rig and looking at the gear and how things are going to be done. And it's all coming through the company offices as well. But none of this is a surprise. Every firefighter that goes to a firehouse almost knows everything they're going to see when they get there because they break them in right at the academy from the, from the, from the chart when they're going to go to work, when they're not going to go to work, what's expected of them. If somebody gets killed in a line of duty in Jersey City, they're thinking to be over there with guys from their company in uniform. And, you know, it, it goes beyond the firehouse. It goes beyond the shift work. It talks about your whole, the new culture and the new family that you're part of. And I, I just think it's wonderful that that not a separate learning thing that goes on after they get to the firehouse. And if you land in some single place with a, with a half-assed officer or a guy that's getting ready to retire and a couple of guys that aren't interested, you just turn into one of them. Instead, they know when they leave the academy what the best jobs are, what the best places are, what the best skills are. And, you know, when you go there, they, they'll, they'll compound it and they'll, they'll support it. But they know right from school. And that's what's great about not saying, oh, you got to have 5501 when you get here. So a guy goes to some community college somewhere, he gets 5501, maybe with some good, dedicated uh, firefighters from other departments. And he shows up at the front steps of whatever department he's getting hired in, and he knows nothing about it. He knows a lot about firefighting. He knows a lot about halogens. He knows a lot about fire trucks, but he doesn't know anything about brotherhood or anything about swapping shifts or going to guys' families to support them or, 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 or getting one of these when you have a grandbaby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like all that stuff's important too, and it's great when your department has the resources to provide that up front before a guy goes and starts working. You're, you're already behind the curve if they get off the rig without their gear on their first call. Oh, yeah. Somebody missed something because – 
They yes. should be scared to death to get off the road without dressed, Can't ready to go, their tools, yep. everything else, and so so forth. You have something for so one of the things when I first got to Pearland, one of the things that everybody was here was the Pearland way. You're going to do it the Pearland way. So being the smart ass I am, <laughs> hey, can you tell me what the Pearland way is? And everybody looks at me like, can you tell me what the Pearland way is? Everybody looks at me like, one of the, and one of the reasons I did this, and it was going to visit Rick and Tim and Scott when they're out Louisville, and on top of every door it said. We will risk a lot in a calculated manner to save a lot. What is a calculated manner at your fire department? There's six of us on this on this talk right now. Every one of our departments, calculated manner means something different. At the FDNY, they need to teach their guys that. At Pearland, I need to teach my guys that. At Louisville or, or the colony, need to teach what that calculated manner is. And that comes down to how much we're willing to train, how much we trust our guys, how many years on the job they've got, companies, staffing, equipment. Do they know how to use it? Uh, we are blessed here at Pearland that we are four-man staffing on every truck that goes out except for medics, and they have two. So we know every rig that we go on, we know tool assignments, we know what they're going to do when they get there. We know, and we are teaching, and we are creating the Pearland way. And what we're doing in real life is when you go in the 48 engine at John's job, what's that calculated man? How much are we willing to sacrifice? How much are we willing to risk? How much and in what manner? And I think that's very important. Just like Scott wrote that. Me as the fire chief is telling you, I expect this. I know that it's Scott's place. They train, they have tool assignments. They have what each person does when they pull up on the scene and how much he expects them to do in what stage. Well, and, and that's important for all of us to do. And and it's disclosed and written down and oh, talked right about there. and taught. It's not just enough to talk about in the kitchen or a rig on the way back from a fire. The chief's talking about it. The company officers are talking about it because it's department policy. It's it, it's on a table. It's written down. Well, and, and one, of the, one of the things we mention all the time, <clears throat> excuse me, is the circle of friends we all run with. You know, David, you and I have been together a long time. Uh, back to 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 to, to Cod, you know, to Scott Millsap and all that stuff back way back when. The circle of friends I run with fit into that, get your ass in there and do your job and aggressive. But I'm, I'm looking at this panel going, I can pay, I already know because one of you guys said it. I already know that if we have a firefighter that does something, I'm just going to use the word, I don't like it, stupid. You do something. The people on this panel will be the first ones to stand some of their head doing something they shouldn't be doing. At the same time, I love the belief that we need to train our people and equip our people. You said, I tapped you, you said tools giving them everything they need to be successful. It's kind of hard to do that if you're boss, you give you guys crappy gear and no tools and no radios and no staff and all stuff. First of all, that, that some of that, your hands, your handcuff, because that's all you get from your city council. Some chiefs have the wrong irons in their car. If you know what I mean, you know, they have their golf clubs instead of the other ones. Not that they had the irons, but you know what I'm saying? Their focus is not there. David, you come from one of the busiest fire departments in the country, Atlanta. John, I, I've been, now I'll just pick on you for a second. You know, when you're on 48 engine, six, 7,000 runs a year, minimum six, at a time when I took a picture of the journal when you guys were doing 10 to 15 fires a day, all right? And, and I always go, so why isn't 48 engine killing a mamie and a hair? You know, you know, I mean, they go to all these fires. Why are they not? 10 to 15 fires, God, the odds are with you sooner or later. I mean, maybe tomorrow. I mean, maybe in a 30th fire or whatever. Why, why sometimes, you know, you're that busy? I don't think it's just a fluke thing. I think there's a whole process. There's a whole stance. There's a whole system that allows you to be that busy 
and still keep your people as safe as possible. Well, well listen, this isn't a mystery, and, and it has nothing to do with firefighting. It's, it's about human nature. It's, it's about, and I don't want to say I don't want to say it's about training, but it's not about training. Training is important, but why does a truck driver, why does an over-the-road truck driver that drives a million miles a year, why does, high, why does he drive much better and, and make his turns wider and stop at the railroad tracks earlier? And why does he have less accidents and less incidents than a guy who, who just drives a U-Haul truck twice a year? Because he's got experience, because he's doing it all the time, because he's got muscle memory. And the same thing fighting fires, the same thing herding cattle or, or painting, painting roofs. You know what? That's an important element. Now, does everybody have experience? Hell no. There's some people that don't get a lot of experience. That's why training was invented. So how did they get there? Well, well, let me tell you. Well, because I talk about my sons, and I love talking about Marines, because I love Marines. <laughs> and my boys are a major in the Marine Corps. My other son was a firefighter, was a Marine. And you know what? I, I went to both of their graduations. And both of their graduations from Paris Island they were brand new enlisted Marines. They hadn't been off the island. They hadn't fired a real gun at a real enemy yet. They had that, and, and they've been there for 13 weeks. And I said, are they ready to go? Are they ready to be Marines and, and go to battle? And the answer is absolutely yes. At, they have zero experience. They have only training. I asked the audience, can you get your firefighters up to be good, maybe even pretty good on training alone? And I see the doubtful looks in the audience. And they're wrong. It's, you can do it on training alone. And then you add experience, whether it's one fire a month or three fires a year, and suddenly they start to get better and better. And that's what we have to embrace in the fire service. Everybody doesn't work in 82 engine. Everybody doesn't work in Chicago or Detroit or, or anywhere else. Everybody works where they work. Everybody has a different level of runs, different level of, of you know, I say the assignment. Some, some companies are six minutes apart from each other. Some companies are one minute apart from each other. You got what you got, so you got to – Use your experience, whatever it is you get, and then the rest you got to build on training. Training is the most important thing that goes on, other than the actual fighting fires and rescuing people. Training is the next most important thing. And to think that there's officers or even firefighters, forget chiefs. I mean, chiefs have to support it too, but even if the chief's out to lunch, if you've got good company officers, you've got good training going on in every firehouse. And those are the guys that give the best training and benefit from the most. Absolutely. David, you know, I, I know the, the – I'm sorry, Scott, hang on one second, but um, – David, you know, I know our goal at FDIC, you know, um, and your goal as the boss there is to provide the attendees with the choices to do and see and learn and experience pretty much anything. So they can go back to their, their department, their city, where maybe they don't go to a lot of fire. I know guys that go there and say, I cut more cars apart or I fought more fire there than I have in 10 years in my department. And they actually go back and they're kind of pumped up because they feel better about it because they have experienced something. Even though it, it's a training fire, it's safe, all that, they, they've got a little bit more experience. So there are methods out there, whether it's at FDIC or your local community college is doing a, a hands-on training on the weekend, right? It's it's amazing at how many people don't get to do hands-on training. It, it is it's, it's just amazing. At the beginning of the show, you talked about like VES. It's amazing how many departments don't know what that is. <laughs> and and then, and then if they do find out what it is, they're like, we're not doing it. And it's like, if you look at the stats and, and, you know, God bless these guys that are doing the rescue survey and we're getting all this data and stuff. It's like, you, you are not going to make a rescue unless you're very lucky going in the front door doing a right hand, left hand search. You got to you got to size up that building and consider all the factors. And, and we've we've proven with the with the stats that the majority of people are found in the bedrooms. So, you know, if you got a fire on the first floor and you start a line towards that fire, then you send guys up a ladder. The quickest way they can get to the bedrooms is through the window. 
and they go right to where the people are sleeping in the bed at 2 a.m. or, or whatever. I mean, there, there's a, there is a mentality out there now because people are working from home and they're like, well, you can't use all the time of day and stuff and all. It's still pretty damn accurate. There, there's a lot of people in their houses that are asleep at 2 a.m. Now, there are people that are working at home, but if you go, we call it playing the odds. Just like if you learn, if you like to play blackjack, there's a book and it'll tell you exactly what to do on every hand. Well, a house fire is is pretty much the same way. If if you play the book, it doesn't mean you're going to win every time. But if you play the book, it's 2 a.m., the fire's on the first floor, and you, you know there's bedrooms on the second floor, go to the damn bedrooms first and then search the, the means of egress. That's and right. you're going to win 90% of the time. Even people that work at home sleep at night. That's, That's right. right. That doesn't change and, that. And, and right. David, there was you saw this. I saw on, on social media. And I, I'm sorry, Scott. Hang on one second, buddy. No, so, I'm just scratching my head. <laughs> You're the only one with hair. There was somebody that posed a question, and I know this guy. He's a good young man. I know his father. You know where I'm going with this. And the, the discussion was about Venom or Search. I know you saw it, Scott. And oh my holy God, it went on with it's the stupidest thing. And it's about it's about just search. Venom or search. You, so we go through there, go through anyway. And then Steve Gillespie. Great, uh, man. So great, great guy. FDNY was there on, on Black Sunday, come around the corner when the Guys were hit. Squad 41. Squad 41. Lieutenant, retired, training chief, uh, was training chief in, in North Charleston. I was a chief of an apartment. And this, this guy started. Go, yeah, this guy started going after him. And I'm going, I almost want to go. Wrong do, guy. Do, yeah, wrong, wrong guy. Wrong guy. You, you're, you're, you're doing battle. You're sword fighting with someone that's got a much bigger sword than you have and much more talent. And, and it was about VES. It was about VES and everything. But go, go ahead, Scott. I just want to tie on to what, what John was saying. Um, if you think about it, we all fly a lot. And when we take off and land, we're protected by a fire department that's never been to a plane crash, probably. You know, 100% training. And the other part of it is that I think we can all agree that it should be the situation, the smoke, the fire, the fire gases that determine if we live or die, not the philosophy of the first in company officer. Uh, and I think you said it, Rick, or whoever said, you know, Terry, if I live in Station One's district, I got a better chance of survival than if I live in Station Five. That's an unsustainable position as a fire chief. If my citizens call me out on that, the only thing I can say to them is move, right? And that that's not going to go over over very well. And that um, might change between shifts. And it's gonna and right and a one year battalion chief is gonna is gonna look at risk different than a twenty year. There, there's something that came out in CNN in on November 5th of 2022, and it's a department in Michigan where a mother, she lost her two kids, and she is demanding an investigation into the death of her sons. And it was two firefighters who were assigned to search. They came out and said they searched, and they didn't search. And the, the kid was found a few minutes later dead. But whether they were right or wrong, the fact is these things are starting to get into the news and 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 people are demanding that we're held accountable for our decisions. And should, and I we, add, huh? should, we, should we be held accountable? Absolutely. Absolutely. And part of the research for the book, I asked I asked citizens in, in the colony in Louisville, what do you expect from your fire department? Now, this isn't chiefs talking at a conference. These are the people that pay our bill and they are perfectly clear on what they expect from us. They want us to take a professional level of risk. And going back to what Curtis said, we got to figure out what that is. Um, now, now, fire chiefs will say, well, it's our job to educate them on what we can and can't do, you know, and 
And we just asked, you know, that this is coming from a department that just bought a $2 million tower ladder for the sole purpose of defensively fighting fires, you know, washing it to the Gulf of Mexico when they could have got by with it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So anyway, I just wanted to add those, those two little things, but, but if you think about it, when you fly, the training is the only thing they have. They chances are they've never been to a plane crash. Scott, I just did a program recently for DFW, the airport, which great people. I mean, 250 firefighters, six firehouses, build them more. I did it for police, fire, everything. And we talked about that. And then we, at FDIC, David, we, we one of our buddies that's there uh, brought my my chief and uh, captain from uh, Wichita West, Ryan and Chris. We, when we were leaving, going out of town, we, they said, come on by, come on by. They had donuts and coffee. And they took them on the rigs. And I said, that while they were out on the, on the crash truck spraying water, I said, there's very few firehouses out there that can match the response capabilities of airport firefighters. First of all, they have to be out the door, to, like, what is it, within within 60 seconds, 24 hours a day. They have to get there. And then they're talking about the training. The FAA comes in every year. Okay, firefighter David Rhodes. Uh, so, okay, this is June. Uh, last year on April, uh, you were trained on Tuesday, uh, the 12th, in blah, 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 blah. Explain it to me. I mean, they don't just look at your records. They may, and, and, and they may not be the busiest, thank God, because we all travel. But, Scott, I mean, you are dead on it. They, they are just jumping jack flash, lightning quick with everything they do. And John says at all times, you don't have to have fires to be a great fire department. You have to have great firefighters and officers that are into the job train. You got to have good, good, solid policies and procedures and SOGs. You have to equip your people with the right gear, the tools. Bruno, and I'll say David right here, he said it on his show a couple times with us and on our radio show. G. Brunacini used to say before, when it comes to leadership, you can't shit up. That was it. You can't shit up. You know what? It starts somewhere. And when we travel somewhere, all of us, and we see a place that is not going well, all you do is you go, well, let's see who the boss is here. You know, and then all the next thing you know, everything falls into place because he's riding around in a $150,000 fire SUV with a disco ball and a latte machine. And, you know, like you said earlier, a popcorn maker. And, and, and his firefighters run with holes in their gear and not enough tools and crappy rigs and all that stuff. It's about, I think everybody says it's about prioritization. And prioritization is give your people the tools to train the equipment they need to do their jobs and then set them free because firefighters are some pretty incredible people. You know, David? Yeah. Well, none of us here want our guys to turn into kamikazes and do crazy stuff on the scene. And I think, you know, there is a mentality of leadership out there in the fire service that when they hear talk like what we are engaging in, they think uh, reckless cowboy type tactics. But the pendulum swung for some some leadership, and it's, you can't confuse. What we're talking about is real risk management. You got to be competent at your job. You got to have the right equipment, and then you apply risk management skills and risk avoidance is not risk management. It's this dereliction of duty. If you just totally avoid the risk, it's not, that's not what we, that's not what we're there for. That's not what the citizens pay us for. And the citizens don't have a choice of who comes when they dial 911, they get whoever's on duty right now today. Who's closest. They can't request a certain fire department or whatever. So, you got to train. I mean, you guys have hit it all. You got to train. You got to have a level of competence. Um, and, and you have, yes, you have to have policy, 
but policy should guide. There's always going to be circumstances and we have to let the circumstances dictate the procedures when we get there. And, you know, back to John was talking about, you know, the, the tactics of exterior and, and, and trying to find ways to go like avoid going in. Well, the new studies have shown what we learned in recruit school right out of our books. When it comes to rescue, what's the number one thing against the victim time. And so if we pull up with two people, I got absolutely no problem. One guy stretches a line and hits a fire and knocks it down. That is a great strategy. If you got one person, because now you can take, you can go in and, and, and do what you got to do with the other person coming up, but it has to be put in context. There's nothing that should be done every time. You shouldn't attack the fire exterior every time. There's We've all fought fire from the front door, pushed, you know, knocking it back in to get inside the building. So there's room for all of those tactics if they're applied in the right circumstance. Uh, but the bottom line is, I go back to it, we go to fires to search. So everything you do should support that model until until we say the building's clear. Now, if a room is truly fully involved, that's a whole nother issue because people think just because they see fire that the house is fully involved. But if a room is totally involved and fires floor to ceiling, you're pretty sure there's nobody surviving in that room. So you can either shut, shut the door if there's one there or you can put water on it to knock it down. But that's not really a searchable room at that time. But there may be a room off of that room that has a closed door. So you still got to check all those areas. I always David, when you said searchable spaces earlier, he lit up because that's what he talks about all the time is, you know, to identify, define, and, and, and actually counting on before you, you count on it and then find out it's eliminated, that there's actual searchable. And that's what Scott said before, yeah. searchable well, areas. And right. Not that there's somebody in there. And, and, you can't always, and you can't always tell that from a 360. Um, a lot of times you can. A lot of times it's obvious because fire's blowing out one window on one side. That tells me 90% of the house is searchable. But if there's a lot of fire and we're we're deep into the time and we got fire showing out of 60% of the windows or, or what have you, we still don't know. There could be a compartment right in the center of that. And it's happened before. You remember the lady? I can't remember where it was. Maybe you guys do. The lady is like a big, I think it's an apartment and, and, and they're defensive and this thing's been going on forever. They had a report of entrapment, but they still decided to go defensive. And they're like 20, 30 minutes into it. And the dispatcher says, hey, the caller is on the phone. She's still in the bathroom and wants to know if you guys are going to come in there and get her. And they're like, oh, and they ended up shifting modes and going in there and getting her. But from the outside, this thing looked horrible. Well, you know, and how about there was the all kinds of excuses. Do you remember? Was it was it Florida? I, I don't can't remember where it was. I don't want to even say because I can't. Yeah, I, don't, I know. I know what you're talking about. It was a huge news story. She was she was like waiting. You know, they told her, "Hey, wait right there. They're coming to get you." They went defensive, and so she she hangs up, and they call back twenty minutes later. It's like, "Hey, are they coming?" <laughs> well, because the houses are. I mean, the houses are sealed up. Great. It's 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 incredible. And the story I tell, if this is what you're going at, about Sal. Sal Absolutely. Sal Marchese, our That's good friend, story. your work partner, our, our teaching partner, Scott, you know, <clears throat> Curtis. Sal Marchese, retired from the FDNY, one of the most 
notorious and, and respected truck officers and truckies in the world. And I remember I went to ride out with them. I won 42 truck at Queens and they were on a call. I came, they came back and they're all, you know, got to get cleaned up. And he's going, you know, I can believe this. He, he, he was banging out, going to write up uh, his, uh, uh, the OV. He said, because they pulled up and they had fires, a tenement, whatever, fire out every window, every window on this side, fire, 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 except one. And the guy in the bucket, now that's where you were going. The guy in the bucket went to the only window that had no fire and went in and got a guy, did a veteran search and brought him out to the bucket, saved him. And he goes, I'm right. He's getting the medal. He's right. He goes, other people have said, oh, they're all dead. Don't go in there. You know, this kind of stuff, searchable. And, he, and the only window that didn't have fire had a victim that survived. And, and that's the whole point, I think. You know, we've been talking about it. And there's all different levels of people, different experiences, different training, different levels of education. And that's all great percentages and, 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 and trying to figure out, you know, survivability and all that's wonderful, wonderful stuff. I'm just a simple guy. And I'll tell you what, just about every fire I ever went to was a chief officer where I started outside and stayed outside for most of the fire. I just pulled up. And most of the time, the only thing I knew, and I've written articles about this, was like, Yep, I think it's just the middle building. I don't think the the one on the right side fire. And I'll tell you, even if you see a window of fire, or two windows of fire, a heavy fire, a light fire, a smoke above and smoke below, you see fire out a window. I don't even know if that's the original room. The original room might be the one behind it. It might it might have spread into that one. I don't know if the door to that room is open. I don't know if there's people in the room next door. I don't know if there's are motorcycles in there or car tires or mattresses. I don't know how many people are in that building. Or I don't know if it's lightweight construction. Or, or heavy, or heavy typical. There's so I could list twenty things that I don't know every fire I ever want to. How can people start making decisions on survivability of people in there when they don't even know if the room to, that's on fire is closed or not? I mean, it's just it's really just crazy that the 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 things that people come up with and the assumptions that they make looking at a building based on based on whatever it is, maybe their experience. My experience scares the crap out of me. The more I see, the less I know. The more fires I go to, the more scared I am. Not the less. People say, well, I've been to so many fires, I can tell this, this, and this. And I say, well, you can, you can arrive with me then, so you can fill me in on what's going on, because most fires I go to, I just go, get your asses in there, let's put this fire out, and you know, and we might stumble on somebody. We might find a room that's not involved, and you, you, you gave the example before of the two rooms with the doors, one open and one closed. You see that everywhere you go. It could be the only room that's left, and that towel out of store is the perfect example of that. That's a searchable area. In you go. In you go. Perfect. Perfect. Well, hey, let's – I know Pete's uh, – our producer's given us a little signal there. He did. Uh, let, let's run around here real quick. Scott, closing thoughts on – like I said, we're talking aggressive fire tech and our good buddies, John, get your ass in there, what you just said. So your, your closing thoughts. <laughs> We've got to fix this. I'm going to tell one more quick story. There's two departments in this area. I won't mention who they are that – before they had tower ladders, they were aggressive firefighters. They got in lightning strikes and put the fire out. They got tower ladders. What do they do now? They don't even bother. They throw the stick up. But what's been interesting is social media, people who know nothing about firefighting are starting to comment about those and go, why is that happening? I went to a fire very recently, a lightning strike, fire and attic. The fire company stayed committed for four minutes before they pulled out and went defensive. You, you don't have to know anything about firefighting to know that's jacked up when you have $27 million worth of fire trucks in the front yard and a hundred firefighters and nobody's doing much of anything. I, I'm just, we got to figure this out because I believe that if we don't, our citizens are going to start to dictate how the fire department is going to fight fires. And I believe that wholeheartedly. Exactly. Thanks buddy. Curtis, a good buddy, my best buddy, Kirk. Closing thoughts. I think the biggest stuff with this is just 
as bosses and as people that are doing training, set the expectation and explain to people what that expectation means. If we're going to go in and be, I've been with Rick since the eighties and nineties. We always, there's somebody in there until we say nobody's in there. And we have to set the expectation on what we're going to do to go get them and what resources we're going to give to that. And everybody that responds to that call needs to know the same thing. And act accordingly. That's and, right. perfect, and, perfect. and support it. Perfect. And the last thing I want to say is, and we all know this already, 3,000 people, Americans, 3,000 Americans die every year in fire. Some years it's way more. Some years it's 3,400. Some years it's a little bit under. But just take that number, 3,000. And I use 9-11 as an example because it's my, it, that, that's my fire department. 3,000 people died on 9-11, and it changed the world. And we're still talking about it and doing things differently. And 3,000 people have died in fires in the United States every year since then. Every year since then. And people in the fire service don't even know it. 3,000 people a year is unacceptable. We are not doing our job. And I know there's people out there that started studying our rescues and graphs, and, and there's more of those than we know, too, I think. But I think three. I don't think 3,000 is acceptable. I think, we, I think we could be working better on that. There's a lot of fire departments that the seventh and the eighth person have to get there before they put a search team in there. And, and John, well, they stretch a second line sometimes before they put a search team in operation, and the fire's not even extending. They're just doing that backup line before they do a search team. And, it, and it, in plain English, it just ain't right. And if you go to U.S. Fire Administration's website and pull that up, he's being very generous saying 3,000. I looked at it like the past 30 years, there was one, 28, 26, 2,500. The rest of them are not 3,000, but 32, 36, 35, 34. Yep. So do that, you know, over 21 you know, years since that. And again, I always say I def- I deflect you because more than was you, that was your department. You were there for 9-11. They're all uh, waiting for us. Terry, closing thoughts before we throw it to the boss? Well, you know, David mentioned earlier about time, and I've heard Chief Salka say that a lot about the, those aren't your seconds, right? They belong to somebody. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, when we roll out of here on every single call, you should roll out with the mindset. And, and if you don't like the term aggressive, you want to call it offensive, you want to call it intentional, purposeful, I don't care what you call it. You shouldn't be looking for reasons not to do it. You should be un- with the understanding that we start here. When, when those two football teams got on the field the other night to play the Super Bowl, they didn't go out there uh, right after the opening kickoff and start doing clock management. They went out there and started running offensive plays, right? They're going to run it down their throat, run up the score, win the game. That is the that is the ultimate goal, right? But nobody went out there in the first, the first you know, 60 seconds of that game. Andy Reid ain't, ain't having them run the clock down and, and, you know, whatever. And so, and that's what I think about this. You shouldn't roll out of your fire station with the idea of, I'm going to start down here and see if I can work to up here. To, to convince myself that we should go inside and fight fire, you should roll out with the idea that this is where we start until it's proven beyond, beyond you know, a doubt that we can't reach that. So then we'll back down. Right. That's, 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 that's an awesome right. statement. Yep. Awesome statement. Let's throw, the, let's throw the closer to the boss. Uh, David, closing thoughts, buddy? When you're going to fires, go with the mentality that you're going to search and – uh, just like he, he just said, you know, learn your building construction, learn fire behavior, know your job, know your equipment, know your crew, know your, know your limitations, but also know your capabilities and uh, don't use risk avoidance as a strategy to stay safe. Um, use competence to be safe in risk management. 
And uh, there's a lot of rescues that could be made that haven't been made. So we got to, I, 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 I'm actually optimistic. I am seeing a shift. I think we've already hit the plateau of the risk avoidance. And I think we're starting to swing the pendulum. And I think uh, you're right. You're seeing a lot more classes, David, right? A lot more blogs, a lot more people teaching a much more aggressive stance with the hose. They're out there doing hose lines again, attack lines. They're out there doing searches. They're out there doing fourth century. They're banging tools and doing stuff. And you, you can't you can't go to social media without seeing people doing that stuff. And the key is, you know, Tom Brennan said it years ago, the the most efficient seeing operations and companies, you got to do these things simultaneously. And so, you know, I am perfectly okay with searching without a hose line in a lot of situations. There are some situations where you have to take a hose line just because you have to fight your way in or, or whatever. But you got a fire on the first floor, one, two room fire. There's no reason guys can't be upstairs searching without a hose line, you know. And if they do have to take it, if you're one of those firefighters that has that policy, you don't have to drag it everywhere. You just got to have it in there, you know. (laughs) There you go. We call it the boat anchor. You can't search with a boat anchor. (laughs) (laughs) We just talked about that, too. Oh, this is, you know, hey, another great topic. Another great topic with the five plus Geraldo. We had Geraldo, like you see on Fox, the five and our and our and our guest, our our brother from another mother. But um, hey, uh, 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 if if people want to get a hold of you, Scott, best best means Scott at fireserviceleadership.com. Awesome, T. Uh, Terry McGrath. So it's T McGrath at cityoflewisville.com. Chief Salka, Chief John Salka at gmail.com. Geraldo. Cbert at me.com. That's short and sweet. And I'm Chief Lasky at gmail.com. And David, if they want to get a hold of the boss, especially now, man, with everything happening, uh, great stuff moving forward. Uh, uh, you taking the baton very properly and, and very classy from Chief Halton. And we're excited to see we're where you're in good hands. Yeah, we're in good hands. We were just talking about we're in great hands with you, David. I uh, we're, we're, well, you know, if they want to get a hold of you, best means. Um, david.rhodes, R-H-O-D-E-S, at clarionevents.com. Perfect, perfect. Rewind them if you miss them, folks. We can't thank you enough. This is all be posted to YouTube uh, so you can share it with your friends. Uh, we, we end all of our shows mentioning a few things. One is go, just go to fire and up, just pick firegenetic.com and look at the top, the top menu bar and just pick whether you want to – fire apparatus is not just about fire apparatus. That's about everything you put in a fire station. That's apparatus and tools and stuff. You got gems, you've got Firefighter Nation, you got Fire Journey, FDIC, everything. <clears throat> there's some great podcasts, there's some great shows like the Command Post that, that are done. There's some great people sharing hump day hangouts every Wednesday. We've got the third one issues and challenges. We end all of our shows with one very important message, and that is please keep the men and women armed forces in your thoughts and prayers. Remember this never forgetting means never forgetting. Thank you. God bless you to our panel. Thank you guys. We love you. You guys are great. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.